0: Well, I, like you, have pictures all over my house. Pictures on the wall, pictures on shelves, pictures beside our bed, pictures of my family, pictures of my kids. And I have pictures of them when they were young. I have pictures of them when we were on vacations. I have pictures of them when they were playing sports. I have pictures when we were posing for different things. And if you look at the pictures that are on our wall, If you look at the pictures that are in our picture books, you would think that we are a family that has it all together. We are a family that never has any struggles. We never have any trouble. But the reality of that is further from the truth than anything is possible. I mean, we are a family that has had all kinds of struggles. We have all kinds of problems. You see, what these pictures don't show are the other pictures. The pictures of like the time when I was on top of my son John in our front yard in Orlando holding him down. Thank God the police didn't do a drive-by. They would have arrested me. The, The pictures don't show the time that we were sitting at a family dinner and John got upset at his brother and grabbed some food off the plate and threw it at Josh. Doesn't show that. It doesn't show the pictures of Mary sneaking out in the middle of the night, cutting school, or a hundred other things that she did that literally drove Sherry and I to our knees, crying out to God to protect her and take care of her. The pictures don't show the time that that Josh was standing out in our front yard and I said, Son, I'm sorry but you can't live in our house anymore. If you're not willing to follow our rules and you're not willing to show respect, you can't live here. It doesn't show that. The pictures on our wall don't show the time that that Sherry and I were sitting with her son Matthew and the principal and the police as he was being expelled from school. You see, our pictures don't show all of those things. Our pictures show our good times, our, our memories that we want you to see. But the truth of the matter is we have a lot of other memories. And And to be honest with you, if you looked at some of those pictures, you would have thought that my my children would have ended up in prison, not in ministry. And, and yet my three living children are all serving the Lord in ministry today. And, and that is a trophy, not of Our parenting, that is a trophy of the grace and the mercy of God. Now last week we talked about marriage and we talked about how marriage is difficult and we talked about how the world gives us some ideas about how we should be married as a husband and a wife and the Bible gives us some other ideas and how if we follow God's ideas we will have a functional marriage. But today I want to turn our attention to, to parenting. Because in my humble opinion, even though marriage is tough, parenting is a whole lot tougher. Parenting is real, real tough, and the Bible tells us over and over the joys that can come from parenting, but the Bible also gives us examples of the tragic results that can happen from bad parenting. That may be why Solomon wrote an entire book to his son telling him how to live, the book of Proverbs. The book of Proverbs was written to Solomon's son, trying to give him divine wisdom on how to live a life that was pleasing to God. Parenting can be so much fun, and yet parenting can be so much hard work. How many of you have heard of the comedian Jim Gaskin? You heard of him? Yes, some of you are like me. You're not too spiritual. Well, he's a comedian, and he, he talks about family things at times. Listen to this clip that he gave. I uh, recently became a father, thank you, became a father for the fourth time, never so much applause on that part, really no applause, right, because after the third kid people stop congratulating you, then they just treat you like you're Amish, four, well that's one way to live your life. Can you build us one of those wood fireplaces? Four kids, four kids. If you want to know what it's like to have a fourth, just imagine you're drowning and then someone hands you a baby. The good news is we live in a two bedroom apartment. So I thought it through. I haven't slept in seven years. And that's how it is with parenting, isn't it? I mean, it is tough when our kids are young. We have to feed them and change them and rock them. And then we have to repeat the process over and over and over again. And then they get a little bit older and we have to take them to school. We have to take them to sports. We have to take them to their their friend's house over and over and over. And we repeat the process. And then our kids get older and And they graduate and we send them out to work or we send them off to school and then they get married and we wonder if we will ever see them again. Parenting causes us to laugh more than anything else in the world and at the same time it causes us to cry more than anything else in the world. When our kids are doing well, we celebrate the things that are going on in their lives. But when our kids aren't doing well, When life is tough for our kids, we ache and we hurt like no one but a parent can understand. So with all the the stuff that goes on with being a parent, how can we parent our kid for the short time that we have in such a way that's honoring and pleasing to God? Well, here's what I've discovered. I've discovered that there are a variety of parenting ideas out there. I've discovered that some parents try to be a prison guard. And parents that look at parenting in that way believe that their job is to keep their kids in line. And, and if their kids step over the line, they're swift and they're severe with the consequences. But when we do that, understand, we don't create a heart that wants to follow the rules. We create a heart that wants to escape and break free. The prison guard parent. I've met other parents that desire to be the best friend. We want to hang out with our kids and have fun with our kids. And and there's absolutely nothing wrong with those things. We should do that. But most of our kids' friends are just like our kids. They listen to the same people. They watch the same shows. They do the same things. and, And that often creates a herd mentality. Whatever you want to do is okay. Wherever you want to Go is okay. Whatever you want to be is okay. However you want to live, it's okay with me. But the Bible is clear where the herd ends up. There are some of us that want to be Santa Claus parents, giving our kids everything they want. We didn't get certain things growing up. We didn't have certain things growing up. And so we want to make sure our kids get those things that we didn't have. They get to do those things that, we didn't get to do. But the problem with that is that creates a, a mentality of entitlement. I am entitled to something. And then finally, there are some of us who, who act like our kids are our avatars. We try to relive our lives through our kids. We weren't very athletic, so doggone it, my kid is going to play every sport. And they're going to be good at it. My mom didn't let me cheer or do gymnastics, so I'm going to start my daughter when she is six months old. And we keep going on and on and on. And then there is biblical parenting, what I believe is functional parenting. The Bible is filled with verses that give us good counsel and direction and advice on how to be parents. The book of Proverbs is filled with, it. I would encourage you as a parent, as a grandparent, as a wannabe parent, to read through the book of Proverbs on a regular basis and learn from that book. But this morning, I want us to go back to Ephesians, where we left off last week, and continue where we stopped and see what Paul has to say about parenting. So if you haven't turned with me already, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6. The verses are there on the screen as well. But listen to what Paul said. He said, children, obey your parents because you belong to the Lord. This is the right thing to do. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. If you honor your father and mother, things will go well for you and you will have a long life on the earth. Fathers, Do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Rather, bring them up with the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. Now, Paul begins by giving clear instructions to children. And this tells us several things. One, it tells us that children were a part of the New Testament gathering. When this letter that Paul had written to the church at Ephesus was being read to the church, children were gathered in the place where this was being read. Now, I'm all for children's church. I'm all for kids' church. I'm all for those things. But understand, they didn't have that in the New Testament church. In the New Testament church, the babies and the little kids and the students and everyone gathered together to worship and hear the Word of God. They prayed together. They sang together. They heard the Word of God taught together. The second truth I think we get from this is this. Children can handle more than we think they can. I'm afraid that we have dumbed down what we teach to our kids today. And yet our children are much more intelligent spiritually than we give them credit for. They can handle more truth doctrinally theologically than we give them credit for. Here Paul isn't saying, parents, go back and explain this to your kids. No, he addresses the children. Children, this is what you're supposed to do. And then third, children, especially those who claim to be believers, are expected to do certain things regardless of their age. And two things that every child is expected to do is this. Honor their parents. And obey their parents now if you're in here and you're a child you're a student listen to me you're expected by God to honor your parents and you do that regardless of their age they may be 83 years old like my dad is but you are still commanded to honor your parents you never get too old that you do not honor your parents. But if you are living in your parents' home and your parents are providing for your needs, they are paying for your education, they are putting gas in your car, if you have a car, whatever, they are the one that is meeting your needs, then hear me, child. You are called by God to obey your parent. Did you hear that? And so, children, you are expected to honor your parents, and you are expected to obey your parents. Your parents were given to you by God for your protection and given to you by God for your good. So listen to them and learn from them. But then Paul moves to parents. And Paul gives us as parents an incredible truth. And it's on your note sheet, but I want to read it to you. Functional parenting that helps your children get safely to the finish line involves holding them firmly with both hands, the hand of discipline and the hand of instruction. Let me say that again. Parents, your job is to do the best you can to make sure your children get safely to the finish line. And the way you do that is you hold them firmly in both hands the hands of discipline, and the hand of instruction. Now, parents, your children have a free will. Your children have the ability to choose to obey and not obey. They have the ability to choose whether to receive or not to receive the goodness and the grace of God. But your job is to prepare the way pave the way that makes them ready to receive the goodness and grace of God so that when they get to the finish line, they finish victoriously. They cross the finish line safely. And Paul says the way that we do that is we don't let loose of them and allow them to do their own thing. No, Paul says we hold them firmly in both hands, the hand of discipline, and the hand of instruction. Now as we unpack these, this verse, chapter, or chapter 6, verse 4, there are three truths that you desperately need to hear that are keys to good biblical parenting. Here's key number one. Provoke not. Paul says, don't provoke to anger. Now in the Greek, that's one word. That phrase is one word. Don't provoke your children anger. To anger now some of us hear that phrase provoke not to anger and we become so fearful of coming across harsh that we take a hands-off approach to parenting we never confront we never discipline we we never step in and say no and that is extremely dangerous but on the other side is is the parent who is so harsh and so demanding that they provoke their children to anger. So parent, I want you to listen closely. I want you to lean in a little bit on this one. You cannot keep your children from getting angry at times. Anger is an emotional response that we all have from time to time. Would you agree? That's why we're commanded in Scripture Don't let the sun go down on your anger. When we do get angry, we deal with our anger in an appropriate biblical way. But anger is an emotion, and sometimes anger is even a good thing. This is not saying that we as parents should strive and do everything we can to keep our kids from ever getting angry. What this is saying is we do not provoke them to anger. And sometimes we provoke our kids to anger. Sometimes we provoke our kids to anger by doing foolish things. For instance, you have a preschooler, a toddler, and you go to Walmart or Target. You're walking through the store and, and you decide, well, I'm just going to take my kid through the toy section. I'm not going to buy anything. I'm just going to walk that way. D-U-M-B. And so you're walking down the aisle, and and your preschooler, your toddler, sees a toy that's one of their favorite toys that they've seen advertised on TV a thousand times that every one of their little friends have, and and they say, can I hold it? And you go, sure. D-U-M-B. And so you let them hold it for a minute, and then you say, "Let me have it back and put it on the shelf." And what do they say? "I, I want it." You know, no, 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 we're not we're not we're not getting it. "But I want it." "No, no, we're not getting it." "I want it! I want it!" Now, now can I say to you that in part you have provoked them to anger by taking them down the toy aisle and and putting the toy in front of them. Stay away from the toy aisle. You go to the grocery store. And you go down the candy aisle. And you're one of those parents that you said, I'm not giving my kid sugar. <laughs> well, understand, your kid sees sugar. And you're walking through this sugar heaven. And you're telling your kid, you can't have anything from sugar heaven because it's really sugar hell. (laughs) Your kid isn't going to understand that. And you have provoked them to anger. Does that make sense? The Bible says, provoke not your kids to anger. Don't do things that are going to cause your kids to get angry. Now, when you tell your kid no, there are going to be times that they get angry. You haven't provoked them. They've chosen to get angry. There are going to be times that you have to discipline them, that they're not going to like it, that they're going to get angry. You haven't provoked them. They have chosen anger. But let me give you some ways that I believe that we provoke our children to anger. We provoke them when we don't listen to them. We provoke them when we don't explain things to them. We say to them, I said it and that's, settles it I'm your parent do what I say well yeah you're their parent are you trying to convince yourself that certainly you're their parent but but because you're their parent and because God's entrusted them in your care certainly you have a reason for not doing something or doing something right so is it really that bad to sit down with them and explain well this is why dad's saying you can't do this I'm doing it because Is, is that a bad thing I would think that it's a good thing to explain the reasons why. We provoke when we give the harshness of punishment rather than the love of discipline. We provoke when we're inconsistent with our kids, giving them a moving target. Man, I was so guilty of that growing up. I mean, parenting is tough, amen? amen? Thank you. I mean, you're really making me feel insecure here. Thinking I'm the only lousy parent in this place. I mean, when my kids were growing up, I mean, you know, struggle with this Halloween thing. Do we or don't we? Now, now and if some of you are sitting back thinking Halloween is some spiritual God forbid thing, keep it to yourself. That's okay. That's, that's, that, that, that's okay. That, that's, that's your right to have that conviction. But don't try to force that conviction on every other person that loves Jesus. So I struggled with this Halloween thing: do we or don't we? I mean, we didn't want them dressing up like Freddy Krueger or Jason, you know. But was thinking, you know, what if we dress them up like Jesus, <laughs> the the Apostle Paul? And, and I mean, you know, we—I wanted some of the candy too. And so there were, there were years that we let our kids do the, the trick-or-treat thing, and then the other years we said, no, we're not doing that. And I'm and, and sure my kids were going, and, and then, and then, I mean, just like you, there were shows that I didn't let my kids watch, and there were clear reasons. And, and then there were other shows, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. It was a cartoon. Moldy's son, he loved the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Somehow, some way, I got convinced they were of the devil. <laughs> Wouldn't let him watch Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. I mean, he asked me today, Dad, Dad, why didn't you let me watch Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles? I said, we're not talking about that, son. <laughs> what that means is I have no clue. Parenting mistake, okay, I I admit it, I acknowledge it. I mean, we're inconsistent, and when we're inconsistent, we provoke to anger. And then finally, when we tell our kids one thing, and then we live by a different standard, we tell our kids, you can't do this, but I can. Do as I say, not as I do. We're provoking them to anger. And the Bible says, provoke not to anger. We have to learn this balance, folks, between discipling our children and provoking our children. And, and that's tough to find that balance at times. But we've got to find that balance, amen? So provoke not. The next thing he says is we do discipline. Now, now the word he uses here that we've translated discipline in, in the translation we're using is the same Greek word that is used in Hebrews 12 when it says God disciplines those he loves and yet I'm afraid that that we're raising a generation of kids that don't understand discipline and hear me parents if our kids don't learn discipline from us where are they going to learn it from and if our kids don't learn to follow the rules in our house then how in the world Do we ever expect them to follow the rules when they get out in the world? And when they mouth off to their teachers, and we enable that, when they mouth off to the police officer, and we excuse that, it's because we have never disciplined our children. The Bible speaks a lot about discipline. The Bible speaks a lot about what happens when we don't discipline. In 1 Samuel chapter 3, verses 11 through 14, it says this. Then the Lord said to Samuel, I'm about to do a shocking thing in Israel. I'm going to carry out my threats against Eli and his family. Now, Eli was the priest of God from beginning to end. I have warned him that judgment is coming upon his family forever because his sons are blaspheming God and he hasn't disciplined them. So I vowed that the sins of Eli and his sons will never be forgiven by sacrifices or offerings. That's a tough passage, isn't it? Is it tough? better believe it's tough. God said, I'm about to take Eli and his family out. I'm removing them from the face of the earth. And the reason, listen, the reason is not because the sons have blasphemed God. That was the final straw. Eli's sons are doing all kind of evil, wicked things. The reason that God was judging Eli's family is because Eli refused to discipline his sons. Eli was a willing party in their sin because he excused it. I imagine Eli, when his boys were growing up, said things a lot of parents say. Boys will be boys. They'll grow out of it. They're really good kids. Honest, they are. The problem is Eli's boys didn't grow out of it. Eli failed to discipline them. And when he finally did even talk to them about what they were doing wrong, it was too little, too late. And Eli and his entire family line was wiped from the face of the earth. Now, you can have a problem with that if you want to. I read and I go, whoa, I better take this discipline thing serious. This is a big deal. Now, I know that parenting styles have changed over the years and the way that we discipline has changed over the years. But let me say to you, the Bible speaks a lot about discipline. Let me just read you quickly several verses Proverbs 13:24 Those who spare the rod of discipline hate their children. Those who love their children care enough to discipline them. Proverbs 19:18 Discipline your children while there is hope, otherwise you will ruin their lives. Proverbs 22 um 15, a youngster's heart is filled with foolishness, but physical discipline will drive it far away. Proverbs 23, 13-14, Don't fail to discipline your children. They won't die if you spank them. Physical discipline may well save them from death. Now here's the problem. And I'm not bemoaning or belittling a parenting style. Don't hear that. But what we have done today is we've taken a pop psychology idea that is popular today and replace the Word of God with it. A book that we say is without error, a book that we say is timeless, a book that we say applies to every age and every stage of life. Now, you as a parent are going to have to determine how you discipline your children, but I'm telling you, if you don't discipline your children, you're in for a heap of trouble, and they're in for worse trouble. When I was growing up, I got a lot of whoopings. I got a lot of beatings. And some of you can, you know, text me and say, I'm so sorry. I'm not. I'm so thankful my dad, and my mom loved me enough to whip my butt when I was doing things that were wrong. Back when I was growing up, my dad would take his belt off and I mean, he would just put it across my rear end. When I was a parent, I decided, you know, I didn't want to use a belt because I read that, you know, people equate a belt with you and so we went out and we bought in mass quantity wooden spoons. I like wooden spoons. I broke a lot of wooden spoons (laughs) on four little butts growing up. My kids are okay. My kids love Jesus. As far as I know, I haven't seen their rear ends lately, but as far as I know, none of them are scarred up. They've made it through it. Look at me, parents. We're not only going to be a willing party to the destruction of our children if we don't build in them discipline. We're raising wimps and bullies. Did you hear me? Because you're going to always have bullies that take advantage. And when we teach our kids that there aren't consequences, they're going to become bullies or they're going to become wimps. Because when the consequence comes, when listen, when I was growing up, if I mouthed off to a big guy at school, I got my rear end whipped. Not by my parent, by that big guy at school. (laughs) And I learned, well, if I'm going to mouth off to somebody, it better be somebody that's not going to take me out and beat me up. I I learned some things. And I'm afraid we're raising a generation that doesn't understand there are consequences to decisions and choices in life. Some consequences are temporal. Some consequences are eternal. And listen, the only way our children are going to learn that is through discipline in their life. So we provoke not, we discipline, and then third, we always instruct. Now the word here for instruct Literally means to warn or instruct. And so what that means is we don't just teach our children what to do. We teach our children what not to do. We teach our children what to avoid. And we instruct them and we warn them by what we say, our talk, and by what we do, our walk. You see, it's just as important that we model what we want our kids to do as it is to tell them what to do. When John was applying to seminary after he graduated from college, he um, had to write out his testimony and he gave me the privilege of reading it. And as he did, I I read something for the very first time because he never told me this. But in my car, um, back in the day, I always listened to cassette tapes of preachers. I don't listen to cassette tapes on preachers anymore because nobody sells cassette tapes. But I listen to preachers on my phone. I listen to pre Well, they don't even do CDs hardly anymore, do they? So I have to get the MP3 player going or whatever it is. And so I still do that. But my son said when I was growing up, I used to always get angry because when my dad, I got in my dad's car, I'd want to turn on the radio to this station. And my dad always had these preachers that he had in there. And I had to listen to them because he was listening to them. But he said, but listening to those guys over the years, I learned spiritual truths that God has used to make me into the man I've become. So you see, as you're walking through life, you model a life that is seeking to honor God in everything you do and let your children get in on it and watch it as you do it. Now here's here's something that we offer to you. I want you to look at this. It's called the parent cue. Understand, parents... It's not our job to teach your children. You know that, right? I mean, we have your children at best for three hours a week. Sunday morning, if you come to Life Group, you need to, by the way. And if you come to worship, we got them for a couple of hours. And then if you bring them to Awana, we've got them for an hour, hour and 15 minutes more. So we have them about three hours a, a week. you got them for the remaining part of the time. It's not our job to teach your kids. It's our job to partner with you to help you. Teach your children, and one of the things that we use to do that is something called Parent Q. You can download this from the Apple Store, from um, the um, the um, Google um, Google Play Store, and it's free. And, and what you'll be able to do is the stuff that you learn or your kids learn in Life Group. You will get notices each and every day on things that you can do with your kid to help take that truth deeper and further than it went on Sunday morning. It will help you be a better parent. But it can't help you be a better parent unless you use it. And so here's the bottom line, parent. Our goal as parents are to help our kids know the Lord, grow in the Lord, and then go for the Lord. Know Him, grow in Him, and then go in Him so that they can make it to the finish line victorious. But what is the finish line? Well, the finish line isn't a college scholarship. The finish line in a sports career is not a great job. If the Bible is true and eternity is real, there are more important things than your child's sports career, your child's education, your child's dance and cheer, your child's band or extracurricular activities. Now please don't get mad at me. Please don't tune me out because I'm not saying there's anything wrong with those things, but here's what we've done. Listen to me, parents. We've taken these things and we've made them our gods. And you say, how have we done that? I'll tell you how we've done it. When I was growing up, we didn't have ball practice on Wednesdays. God forbid if we had anything on Sunday. And if we did, I wouldn't have played because my mom and dad wouldn't have allowed me to play because there were things more important than that. But now what we've done is we're so called up and wanting our kids to become the best at sports, to become the best at this and become the best at that, that we put them into these leagues and these programs where half of the weekends you're gone somewhere and you're not in church. And then your kids are going to graduate from high school and they're never going to come back. And you're going to wonder, why do my kids not come to church with me? I'll tell you why. Because they are serving the God that you showed them. The God of the world. The God of competitive sports, the God of academic excellence, the God of cheer and gymnastics, the God of whatever. Now don't get me wrong, all those things are wonderful and you should strive to give those things to your kids. But hear my heart, hear my heart. I would rather my kid not be able to walk and chew gum at the same time. I would rather my kid struggle to get by in school making C's. I would rather my kid never participate in any extracurricular activity and yet love Jesus passionately, serve Him wholeheartedly. Even if it means that they're working at a minimum wage job for all their life. Because here's what I know, parent, listen to me. This is temporal. And as long as they love Jesus passionately and they're serving Him wholeheartedly, one day they're going to have a mansion, amen? One day, they're going to walk on streets of gold, amen? One day, they're going to sit with kings and queens, amen? But you get them your sports scholarship. You get them that athletic scholarship. You get them doing cheer and all these other things and neglect the more important things and see what it gives them. About a month ago, I tweeted something tweet, for y'all that don't know, I think all of y'all probably know, but it's something on social media. But I tweeted something that caused a lot of responses, some positive, some negative. But here's what I tweeted. I said, I'm afraid that many Christian parents have raised children who are intelligent and athletic, but are spiritually lost because they have put academics and sports above Christ and his church. This is going to result in short-term celebrations, but long-term sorrow we're going to enjoy sitting in the stands applauding our kids but if and I say if we make it to heaven and our kids aren't there it's going to be awful it's going to be awful don't spend your life working to give your kids a good life and neglect giving them a godly life. Focus on giving your kids a godly life, and if in the meantime they get a good life too, that's gravy. There's nothing wrong with that. But don't make that your focus. Make make serving Jesus, loving Jesus, honoring Jesus and his bride the church. Listen to me, by the way, kids look at me, adults You can't love Jesus and not love his church. You hear me? You can't love Jesus and not love his church. You ask any man in here who's happily married if someone can come up to them and say, well, I love you, but I hate that wife of yours. I don't have much time for that wife of yours. I'll tell you what that man's going to do. He's going to say, well, I don't have anything to do with you. You're dead to me. Listen, if you don't love my wife, I don't need you. My wife is part of me. The church is the bride of Christ. How can you love Christ and not love his bride? You can't. Parents, we've got to open our eyes. This is important stuff because we're losing our kids. And it's not getting better, it's getting worse. So what are we going to do? Or are we going to keep on doing the same old, same old? Or we're going to change? My prayer is that we change. Now here's the thing, parents. And i got to close. Goodness, I'm sorry. You can't give your kids what you don't have. The problem with some of us as parents and grandparents is we have head knowledge of who Jesus is. We believe the facts, but Jesus has never radically changed our life. We've never come under the convicting power of the Holy Spirit when it comes to our sin We've never had him change us to the point that we want to live radically for him because he loves us and he died for us. We've never surrendered our life to him. And we're trying to get our kids to fall in love with a Jesus that we don't even know. So some of us parents, some of us grandparents need to look at our hearts and and ask ourselves have we ever really been changed? And then some of us kids, us students, us children in here, you need to ask yourself, have I really given my heart and life to Jesus? Because there's nothing else more important than that. In, In the Bible, you see the men and women of God forsaking, forsaking great careers for the sake of the gospel. Not pursuing greatness in the eyes of the world, but pursuing greatness in the eyes of God. And that's what we should strive for with our kids. I want you to bow your head with me. I want you to close your eyes with me. With your head bowed, your eyes closed, I just want to quickly ask you this question. Do you know, do you know, do you know that Jesus has changed your heart? I mean, this is between you and God. I love you and I'm concerned for you, but in the end, this is is your eternity at stake. Do you know that You came under the conviction of sin. Do you know that you turned from that sin? Do you know that you trusted in Christ alone? Do you know that you've surrendered your life to him as the Lord of your life? And every day you're seeking to live under his control. Because if that's not where you're at, then you need to ask yourself, have I really given my life to Jesus? And if you haven't, then I want to encourage you right here, right now, to pray this prayer to him. If that's your desire, if that's what you want, dear God, I humbly come to you today acknowledging my sin. Please forgive me. I'm sorry I've rebelled. I'm sorry I've lived life my way. I don't want to live life that way anymore. Jesus, I know you love me. You died for me on a cross so I could be forgiven. Today I'm trusting you. Today, I'm giving my life to you. Come into my heart and change me from the inside out. Make me a new person. I love you, Jesus. Thank you for hearing my prayer.